You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown. All about your Arizona Cardinals. Welcome into the Revenge of the Birds podcast, your complete cards coverage. And we are broadcasting, uh, recording this on Monday afternoon, should be out for you on Tuesday morning, talking about the Arizona Cardinals with a close 33-26 to win over the Philadelphia Eagles. Kyler Murray and Jalen Hurts went at it. Uh, we'll be able to get into uh, the game, some of the big plays, how Arizona, some of the struggles they had as far as turnovers, uh, kept the Eagles in the game, uh, part of how they were able to pull ahead and had a record-setting day for Kyler Murray and are in the playoff picture currently as the number seven seed with two games left to go. Uh, we'll also look a little bit at some of the playoff picture and then talk a bit about what we're seeing kind of shaping up around the NFL. But uh, before we get any further, uh, let me introduce myself and my co-host. My name is Blake Murphy on Twitter at Blake Murphy seven. And I'm joined as uh, by almost always uh, we had to have Walter on for the podcast last week, but uh, the venerable Johnny venerable is joining me as well. Johnny, uh, how are you? And uh, it feels like that there was a collective sigh of relief after that last pass fell flat onto the turf at uh, State Farm Stadium. How are you feeling after Cardinals winning their second in a row and maybe a closer game than we were thinking that it could have been? Hey, Blake. Good to be with everybody. Yeah, sorry. I missed last week's uh, late uh, late week podcast. A lot going on. As I'm sure many of you are getting ready for the holidays. Got kids working, or excuse me, doing virtual school, and just a lot, a lot of different things going on. But uh, Blake and Walter did a, a phenomenal job. It's good to be back on the pod this week, specifically to break down this game, Blake, because you know, watching it, Cardinals jumped out to a, a first quarter sixteen nothing lead. It had all the makings of, you know, forty to seven type of feel, where the Eagles, after that emotional victory last week against the New Orleans Saints, and Jalen Hurts would kind of roll over and come back to earth a little bit, but. Listen, give them credit. I thought Hertz was going to play well. I didn't think he'd have you know three touchdown passes in the second quarter alone. But I, the Cardinals struggle with younger quarterbacks, minimal tape. They struggle with guys who can move around, extend the play. They don't have defensive backs or corners that can cover for a good amount of time. Um, and Hertz was able to buy time in the pocket and I thought looked very much the part of a, of a young, dynamic quarterback. But you know, Arizona did enough to win this game. And you mentioned the turnovers, Blake. That's frustrating, but it also shows you how great this team can be if they limit their mistakes because they had three turnovers. I don't think Philadelphia had one turnover yesterday, and the Cardinals still won. I don't want to say comfortably, but they should have won by more than seven points. I mean, Philadelphia had a punt blocked, but the Cardinals were minus three in the turnover differential. Um, Jalen Herbst, I think, fumbled three times, didn't lose any of them. But Kyler had the one fumble. He had the interception. Hopkins had a fumble. They had two red zone uh, turnovers. And you think to yourself, goodness, those are killers. They absolutely will lead to losses more times than not. And really, I felt comfortable throughout the duration of the game. I tweeted this out before the fourth quarter. It was tied at that time, 26-all. And I said, You know, you could put everything beside and say, you're the home team. This team with a rookie quarterback and a second start had to travel to the the West Coast from the East Coast. You have the football. Go win this game. Are you a playoff team or not? And give them credit. Not only did they come out and were explosive offensively targeting DeAndre Hopkins, who 
goodness, just under 170 yards on 11 targets and nine receptions. He was sensational against that banged-up Philadelphia secondary. But just Kyler Murray's poising and composure. Um, I know he did have, you know, a couple turnovers. But to just say, I'm going to put this team on my back, throwing the football, 406 yards passing, three passing touchdowns, season-high pass rating, I believe, of 127.8. And I I love the aggressiveness by Cliff Kingsbury with the fake punt from Andy Lee, uh, throwing it to, uh, I believe Ezekiel, Ezekiel Turner, um, that didn't lead to a touchdown, but it did flip field position. And then give Vance Joseph credit. The defense played horrifically in the second quarter, again, giving up 20 points. They gave up one touchdown in the third quarter and that was it. They shut out Philadelphia in the fourth quarter when it mattered most. Byron Murphy made a couple really nice plays. Um, I thought Zach Allen, uh, second round pick, or excuse me, third round pick last year, who's been banged up his entire career, came out and exploded and had his best game as a pro. 11 tackles, a sack, quarterback hit, pass defended. So this was a team victory. It exposed a lot of the Cardinal flaws, but then we also saw how high they can fly and how, how great this team can be because they're so dynamic at two to three spots on this team. Kyler and Hopkins, you know, the Buda Bakers of the world, now Hassan Reddick with 11 sacks, that their greatness can make up for these kind of plays. And when you look at other teams, you know, watching the Giants play or even somebody like the Browns, those teams do not have the difference makers at quarterback who can erase these kind of mistakes. And with Kyler Murray specifically, you never feel like you're out of the game because of what he brings to the table. And that's a good feeling to have. And I think that's why, Blake, they've been close in next to every game this year. Every game has been within reach to win. They obviously haven't won them all. They ate it in six. But they have the ability every Sunday to go out and compete and get a victory. They just, they haven't for whatever reason, maybe it's personnel, maybe it's culture and mindset, they haven't figured out a way to put teams away early, and I don't want to say coast to the victory. In the NFL, it's hard. The margin of victory consistently, I think, is like two to three points on a given Sunday. But you watch this game, Blake, 16 nothing in the first quarter. It should not have been this close. But again, you're sitting here at 8-6. and six, It's hard to complain. Yeah, absolutely. The, the biggest thing I felt like the turning point was there was a few busted plays that you look at on the defensive side where the team couldn't get off the field, like you said, didn't have the ability to put the team away. And in that sense, part of it is you can credit Jalen Hurts. The game plan for the Cardinals at least clearly seemed to be to pressure him. He took advantage of these one-on-one matchups for the most part. I was able to get some guys down the field. The biggest turning point obviously seems to be after the Cardinals went up 16-0, you look at third and 20 from the Arizona 32. Now they had just gotten a big play, uh, with a deep pass to Alshon Jeffrey, and look at that they had a 10-yard loss, and then talk about how you know Patrick Peterson defended, broke up a pass for Jalen Rager, I think maybe it sailed over his head. You're at third and 20 at the 32. You talk about how you basically had already put them into field goal position. We talked about how this team has struggled in defending the screen pass. Teams are just get huge chunk yards off of screen passes. Eagles run a screen to Quez Watkins. Um, you see Isaiah Simmons kind of gets baited a bit inside. And then on the outside, Drake Kirkpatrick seems to follow him to the inside, kind of hesitates, spins around, realizing he made a mistake. Watkins runs it all the way up. And it was just a deflating type of aspect where you're thinking, oh, this is great. Arizona can hold Philly at 16-3, to go back and have the chance to go with the ball again. 
you go back and forth with a field goal and a punt, and it still feels like it's Arizona's game. You get the ball, essentially, at least, in the Arizona 30-yard line, and you've got a fumble where Kyler Murray gets sacked. Ball is fumbled right inside of Arizona's part of the field. So you're talking about, you know, Eagles take over in your own <laughs> inside their own red zone. And at that point, they got a touchdown. And you're talking about essentially the Cardinals letting this team back into the game. Now, you obviously have to say that give the Eagles credit because they did what they're supposed to do in those situations. You can't just say that, you know, the team is completely letting them back in. And uh, to even go to that point further, I don't necessarily agree that it was, you know, fully a 3-0 turnover battle when you count the fact that Arizona started the game effectively with a fantastic drive that ended with the DeAndre Hopkins fumble and a forced safety on the next play. Now, I, I count a safety as essentially a turnover because not only do you get two points, you get the ball back. On every other score, you'll always usually have it where if the other team scores, you'll get the ball back. Pick six, hey, you at least get the ball back, have a chance to score. You know, other team scores a touchdown, kicks a field goal, you get the ball back and have a chance to essentially get back in the game. Safety, on the other hand, you have to give the ball up after you've surrendered two points. So that was the only forced error or forced, I guess you could say, mistake the Cardinals were able to make on the day, there was a forced fumble, I believe, from Hassan Reddick late that was recovered. And honestly, John, the, the Cardinals' offense in this situation, whether it was focus, whether it was just the luck of the draw, they should have probably had four turnovers when you count the fact that Mason Cole fell on another Kyler Murray fumble, I believe, in the fourth quarter. I think it was the play right before the Hopkins. I think it was right before the Fitzgerald touchdown. The biggest thing that you felt overall in the game was it felt like Arizona's offense, like you said, was not able to put the team away by shooting themselves in the foot. What we did also see on the defensive side was these kind of small, minuscule errors that allowed the Eagles to be able to close the gap and be able to make it a closer game. Even a small thing like the end of the half. Cardinals get the ball back. You end up having some plays. They're driving down the field, and you get a false start penalty at least that happens on third and two. You get to third and seven, and you look at how the Cardinals end up basically having issues with trying to get to the downfield. Um, that was a huge penalty overall that included a 10-second runoff, which essentially, if you look at how the Cardinals play lined up, John, like they were about one play away from being able to kick a field goal. They were within field goal range. Didn't really end up mattering overall. Uh, the game, as you said, the biggest turning point overall, though, is that 26-26, after Kyler Murray had thrown an interception in the end zone, weren't able to put him away. The Eagles had driven down the field for that one. They kind of exchanged uh, turnover on downs after Cardinals went for it at least on fourth down twice, didn't get it. Eagles got a three and out. You were able to see the team when it mattered with, I believe it was like about like six or so minutes left in the game, uh, about seven minutes left in the game. Cardinals put together a fantastic drive with Kyler Murray throwing the ball to DeAndre Hopkins for a huge gain and then attacking the one-on-one -on -one coverage on the outside for a touchdown. And ultimately, John, th that was the big difference in the game was seeing how the Cardinals essentially made one big play for Murray to Hopkins to win the game. And the Eagles could not get that one last final touchdown on their side. And that ultimately was, I think, the story of the game was when the chips were down, the Cardinals needed to make a play. 
despite the fact that they turned it over three times, they stepped up and they made the play in a game they knew they had to win. And that's the kind of resilience, I think, that we need to look for in this team that tells you, hey, is this a team that's going to have the tenacity to take a punch and keep fighting? And I think a lot of Cardinals fans, despite how close the game was, after watching how well Jalen Hurts has played the last two weeks, I think that you could probably consider that to be a success to come out of this Giants game and the Eagles game, looking at two games left of the season and a chance for this team to finish with a winning record and a playoff berth. Yeah, I think style points don't matter anymore. There were games last year that the Cardinals looked really good and competitive in that they lost. I look at both San Francisco games a year ago, you know, the the, the last game of the season against Saints, uh, LA, the, the Rams, they, they, they have performances where they look exceptional most of the game and lose. And so you look at their performance on Sunday and they made a plethora of mistakes, but they, like you mentioned, Blake, were able to put together the signature plays at the end of the game when it matters most, Kyler Murray hitting DeAndre Hopkins for two big plays to take the go ahead touchdown and secure a 33 to 26 lead. And then, you know, Philadelphia moving the ball at will down the field and, 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 uh, Byron Murphy has a pass breakup of, I believe it was Zach Ertz in the end zone. And that was the game on fourth down. And yes, the Cardinals weren't able to get a first down that next possession, but they ran some clock forced Philadelphia to use their timeouts and Philadelphia just ran out of time, but I, they outlasted them and, and give them credit. They could have easily, after it became 26 on the third quarter and Philadelphia had all the momentum, the Cardinals could have rolled over and said, we're not equipped to chase this guy around. We don't know what's coming. You know, all I heard, I put this on Twitter last week and for the last couple weeks is, you know, Doug Peterson's a bum. Get him out. We need a new coach to reboot Carson Wentz. Doug Peterson took Nick Foles and and beat Bill Belichick in a Super Bowl. Doug Peterson knows how to call offense. He's uh, from the Andy Reid coaching tree, and that was always kind of my concern is I'm sure just like Hertz is, you're, you're playing with house money right now. You've got nothing to lose. His aggressiveness was on display. They converted multiple fourth downs, and the Cardinals took their best shots and their best punches and responded when they needed to. And, you know, at the end of the day, both quarterbacks were dynamic, but what did the Cardinals have that Philadelphia didn't. They had a DeAndre Hopkins. They had an alpha receiver that could go out and take control of this game in a way that Philadelphia just didn't have. Their the receivers had a had a nice day, and you know Cardinal defensive backs, particularly Patrick Peterson and, and Drake Kirkpatrick, did not play their best. But the Cardinals took advantage of a secondary for Philadelphia that was filled with journeymen, practice squad players, guys that was that were signed in early December, and De- DeAndre Hopkins put up a performance. For the ages. And I want to focus quickly on Hopkins here, Blake, and just the fact that, you know, we're sitting here in mid December. He's 28 years old, and they got him for 30 cents on the dollar. When you consider he's got 103 catches with two games to go, he leads the NFL with almost 1,400 yards receiving. He's averaging 13, 13 uh, yards per reception. He, he has had so many highlight plays this year, it's, it's hard to keep track. Yep. This is going to go down, even if he, he's never able to duplicate the, this season alone. This is going to go down as, I believe now, the greatest trade in the history of the franchise. I think it's I think it's going to eclipse Chandler Jones, and I think it's going to eclipse Carson Palmer for you know a throwaway six-round pick. When you acquire a talent like this, that I think we both agree, DeAndre Hopkins is on a Hall of Fame trajectory. And he's able to just come in, and you have lapses all over your offense. The Cardinals do not have a number two receiver 
on the roster. We we can we have talked about that, Blake. You have made that a priority to bring up over the last really 12 months, the last calendar year, since we were talking draft last January. And I said, no, 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 let's wait. Let's see what Christian Kirk can do. Let's give Isabella, some of these younger guys, another season. And game after game after game, we look at the box score, and we see it's Dan Arnold and it's Chase Edmonds and all the other receivers are at the bottom of the list. And it's disappointing, but it's the reality. And it shows you that even with all the attention on Hopkins, because right now no other teams respect the rest of the Cardinal receiving threats. Um, And that's all due respect to to the great Larry Fitzgerald, who is 37. He's going to be 38. What Hopkins is doing with all the attention on him, I think is it should be commended. It's unbelievable. But it also shows you that they're, they're overly Hopkins dependent, and I think it's okay for this year. It's good enough to win these last two games if you need to, but I think it underscores the fact that I think you need two receivers in the offseason. I think you need to go out. Blake and I were researching and, and looking over free agent wide receivers that, that are going to become available in March, and the list is as bountiful as I can remember. I think you need a, a solid number two receiver in the offseason, and I think you need to draft a developmental guy because you've you've clearly missed on some people. So I, I think that just I mean Kyler Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins are having seasons for the ages. Murray is on pace for over forty total touchdowns. He, he has an outside chance of five thousand all purpose yards. I've got an article coming out this week about his historic season, putting it to con- context when compared to the likes of, of Carson Palmer and Kurt Warner. But then Hopkins has over thirteen hundred yards receiving and the next closest Cardinal is Christian Kirk, who's been a ghost for five weeks with 545 yards. They, it's, a, it's a two-man show offensively with all due respect to the running backs. And right now, that's, that's good enough, I believe, to get to them to the playoffs. And it shows you, Blake, and it shows the fans how much better this unit can be when they get more talent. They added one player. He's elite. Imagine if they added and tweaked two or three spots this offseason – I mean, I, I don't think it's an understate when you when you're talking about how well the Cardinal offensive line has played. Get consistency there with with Sean Cooler, 22 sacks on the season, and you just say we're going to add an explosive pass catching running back, and we're going to add one to two wide receivers, and we've got this group coming back, and Murray's only getting better. The offense to me is finally showing that we are better than the majority of teams that we're playing and we are going to lean on our stars to get us to the postseason. And that's an exciting feeling because Blake, we haven't seen that in probably, I don't know, a quarter of the season. And and now it certainly looks like it's back. Yeah. And it's interesting. The, some of the storylines coming out of this Cardinals Eagles game, uh, you wanted to touch on something where you said about with looking at like the best trade that you've seen from the team. A lot of that comes down to the fact that we've seen as far as production goes, just a detract uh, detraction in, uh, I guess you can say in statistics, maybe not overall in play, but it just feels like that the number one wide receiver angle, as soon as Hopkins showed up, obviously it shifted away from Larry Fitzgerald. We haven't really seen his involvement as much as I think that we have in the past, you know, five weeks or so compared to earlier on in the season. He gets a classic Fitzgerald touchdown today where he's in one-on-one coverage. Kyler's able to throw and target him despite the fact that he's covered. He does it as a throw on the move. Difficult pass to be able to complete, difficult catch to make. It was very uh, Russell Wilson to Tyler Lockett end of the back of the end zone-esque as far as level of difficulty. I think that's encouraging as far as not only is it something at least that recognizes that, you know, it's not like you're watching, you know, 
Fitzgerald go out there like the T.O. at the end of his days. The fact that he's able to still make an impact is good, but it shows also the drop-off that we saw at least as far as the receivers after DeAndre Hopkins has been very, very concerning for you and I, obviously. What we're not talking about, at least in that sense, and part of why the Hopkins trade is standing out, is because despite not having Chandler Jones, the Cardinals have still been able to find a pass rush. And it's not like it's a fully manufactured pass rush. We're talking about still being able to put up some excellent statistics and being able to actually see game-changing plays made, even in the places like the fourth quarter. Chandler Jones last year from the uh, main pass rushing position had, I think it was 19 sacks, 19, 19 and a half, I believe, if you want to be precise, and he had a chance to set the sack record for that season. He didn't get there. He leaves after, I believe it was week four of the NFL season, uh, week four, week five at least, had only one sack on the year. So you're talking about replacing like 19 or so sacks production-wise. Currently, the Cardinals have Hassan Reddick with 11 sacks on the year. He had a forced fumble that could have, you know, essentially would have won the game for Arizona had Philly not fallen on it. You look at Dennis Gardeck, who was carted off, and there's not as much news on him, had seven sacks. And then Marcus Golden, especially, has also stepped up ever since he's been traded. And in that regard, it's one of those areas where you can talk about a positive and you talk about young player development. You see Zach Allen have a great game and see guys like Lecky Fotu. You see the likes of Richard Lawrence on the field. That is one of those examples of when you talk about the NFL, it's ultimately about talent being able to be effective with your talent. And it's not that you necessarily even have to have superstars. You, you got to have superstars, but one superstar is not going to win a game. Deshaun Watson's on the Texans. When you take a look at that team, you're like, oh, that's that's why they've only got, they're going to be a four to five win team, despite the fact that he is playing at an otherworldly level right now. So that to me was one of the biggest storylines. It's almost kind of the point we even talked about, like, hey, it's like, you know, you, you don't think that you'd be concerned about if Dennis Gardak is going to be out and that would really like hurt some of the Cardinals pass rush, but he's become a solid part of what they're doing and it'll be Interesting to see kind of who are some of the guys who factor into their uh, future plans. The other thing that I think that stood out to me, John, from this game on the defensive side was the cornerback, specifically the play of Byron Murphy, where you talked about it. He had two of those big pass breakups, both, I believe, on fourth down. One of them was on third down with the Zach Ertz one that you mentioned. He at least played well overall and continued some of this kind of clutch play. I think back to the beginning of the year, Byron had the pass breakup on the first of the year Niners game. And you talk about how that was just kind of a play that needed to have because, you know, San Francisco gets that first down there. They take over, end up being able to potentially punch it in. They could have won the game or at least forced Arizona with very little time left to have to try to get a field goal to tie. That was the counter, at least, to seeing the lack of play, at least, from the likes of Patrick Peterson and from, even in this game, Dre Kirkpatrick. Both of them at least had probably some of their worst games of the season. You're looking at the likes of, you know, Greg Ward, a rookie in Jalen Rager. Alshon Jeffrey is at this point a shell of himself. And it felt like that Jalen Hurts was able to find them at will. And it wasn't necessarily that he was throwing it up. They were covered and were making great plays. They were getting beat off the line. And in some cases, Drake Kirkpatrick, for example, he, you know, maybe you could call the flag on one of the plays he fell down on after being shoved. But a lot of it came down to that they just were not doing a great job as far as for coverage and tackling. Uh, if you look at least as far as for what the uh, pro football focus coverage grades were, Kirkpatrick had probably his worst game of the year. 
and Patrick Peterson was just right above him for that. And Peterson did, they both did solid as far as, you know, being able to tackle after the guys had made the catch, but it very much kind of just pointed out the fact that the Cardinals right now are in a spot where they are building a lot on the defensive side of the ball as far as being able to see some young talent in. If Zach Allen's able to step up and be a consistent contributor, suddenly you're talking about the Cardinals having a solid front seven that maybe is one or two pieces away from being a complete front seven, quote unquote. What you're looking at then is seeing those two corners who aren't under contract for next year and going, gosh, like, is there, if the Cardinals can upgrade from where they're looking at for next year somehow, like what could this defense be able to achieve? Right. That I think is kind of the big takeaway from a lot of this other aspect, John, is that we're seeing this kind of same narrative throughout the Cardinals that we've had for most of the season. They're shown at least when things come to clutch, they're a good team. We just have not seen the capability of them to be a great team. And some of that, I think, at least reflects on some of these little small errors that you have. Some of it reflects at least on just have a couple of positions that they need to tweak. And fortunately, with a guy like Kyler Murray, who set his new kind of career high in passing yards, which we both talked about, that that was the key to the game. Not him running the football or the Kenyon Drake-Chase Edmonds game. It would have been interesting if that had been the case. But what we talked about was how the corners for the Eagles were just needing to be beaten because they just were not any good that's what we saw the Cardinals go out and do uh, 169 yards to Hopkins being able to still spread the ball around it just showed at least still some of these limitations that we've had talked about with the Cardinals of not being able to put together a complete game you're like wow they scored 33 points if Murray doesn't throw that end zone interception maybe it's 40 points potential they could have put up yeah the fact that they turned it over so often and that you still see Kyler holding on to the ball like a breadbasket there's room, I think, for concern in some cases, John, but it shows that this is a team that while they're still growing, they're able to win games like this. And that's a far cry from in 2019 where, or even maybe earlier in this season, I talked about this as being similar to the Miami game. The difference, of course, being you kind of trusted the Cardinals to make a kick if it came down to it. Mm -hmm. And they didn't need to have to have that. They went down and scored. And you at least saw the way the defense played and were saying, all right, can you get a stop? And they didn't just get one fourth down stop, John. They got two of them at the end of the game to end it. And that was a huge development, I think, for this team moving forward, considering the youth that this team has and also the youth of a lot of the players at least were making this responsible and guys like cliff there is a lot that goes in for that one that has a lot of optimism for cardinals fans not just for this season i think but for the future as well let's talk about the coaching staff for a second because it's it's often ridiculed by fans and and folks in the media and people have a narrative against cliff because he's a he's a quote-unquote failed college coach Here's some statistics. We've got two games left, right? They've, they've reached eight wins. The over-under for this team in Vegas was seven, so they've hit their over officially. And they have a chance, if they win the next two games, they will double their win total from last year. They will go from five to ten. This is a team. Vance Joseph and Cliff Kingsbury were brought on 18 months ago when the Cardinals had the first pick in the draft. We sit here now after they had put together in 2018 one of the worst offenses in 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 recent memory for the league and their defense was bottom of the barrel as well especially in terms of personnel as we sit here this morning Blake you know in late December of 2020 the Cardinals have the third ranked offense in the NFL they're and and they're number one in total offense in the NFC 
have a better total offense in the NFC than the, than the Green Bay Packers, than the Seattle Seahawks, the LA Rams. They have the best offense, if you ask statistics, um, advanced metrics, they have the best offense in the NFC. And they're right behind Kansas City and the Tennessee. They're behind the Tennessee Titans by 0.2 uh, yards to be second in the NFL. Do you think the Cardinals even have close to the personnel offensively that Kansas City and Tennessee have? And Kansas City and Tennessee play in divisions that are much weaker than the NFC West. So I think we, I am critical of Cliff Kingsbury as well. But that is, I see that. That's outstanding. Now, we know they're a good running team. They're top five in the NFL because of Murray's ability to run the football. But let's flip to the defensive side. For the second consecutive week, they've held their spot 13th overall defensively, 13th in points per game. They're fourth in sacks in the NFL without Chandler Jones. They're two off the league. Now, I know the Steelers are number one at 45 sacks. The Cardinals have 43 sacks on the year. That is unbelievable because for so long, the reason they made the Chandler Jones trade at the time, if you weren't following the team then, is because they had no edge pressure. They couldn't get after the quarterback. The 2013-15 to Cardinals were the most complete team in football, especially that 2015 team that made it to the NFC title game, but their biggest weakness was they could not rush the passer. Then they get Chandler Jones, and of course it's an all-worldly trade, and he's been phenomenal since he got here. He's been out since week five, did not look the part early in the season. I want, we, You and I speculate, could he have been hurt beforehand with his bicep tear? All the Cardinals do in Vance Joseph is put together a stretch where Hassan Reddick, a former bust first-round pick, 13th overall in 2017, has revitalized his career under Vance Joseph. He has 11 sacks this year with two games left. The Cardinals absolutely need to find a way to bring him back. Dennis Garnack, who, you know, there's there's speculation because he was carted off yesterday. He's got a season any injury. He He's an afterthought player. He's got seven sacks. I mean, you're getting contributions defensively from everybody, and that's coaching. Reddick being a breakout player, that's coaching. So as, as much ridicule as we want to give Vance, I, I just think that this coaching staff needs more time because I think we're seeing so many positive trends with this team. I mean, wins up, statistics up, you know, young players developing. You just mentioned Byron Murphy looks good. Isaiah Simmons is playing more. Reddick's 26 years old and has flourished under Vance Joseph. Dan Arnold's a young player that's clearly coming into his own offensively. I thought Justin Murray at right guard played exceptionally well yesterday, especially run blocking downfield. What this coaching staff has been able to do with DJ Humphreys. I mean, there are very minimal examples of whiffing on personnel and this coaching staff being partially responsible. Andy Isabella really is the only one I can think of. Outside of that, you have a lot of areas on this team in which you can point to that and say, well, this young player is improving in part because of the coaching he's receiving on this team. I mean, we're frustrated with certain players. Majority of those guys, like, you know, Drake Kirkpatrick, those guys are on, like you mentioned, like they're on one-year deals. Patrick Peterson's a free agent this offseason, right? But the players we're excited about have a future with this team, you know, outside of if you can secure Redick at least for another deal with the franchise tag. But we have confidence, knowing the staff after one year alone, that Josh Jones can play right tackle. We have confidence that Justin Murray's going to be a good right guard, that DJ Humphreys can make a Pro Bowl. You know, the defensive line, Zach Allen, Rashad Lawrence, and Lecky Fotu, all drafted within the past two years, are consistently playing. 
you know, guys like Devondre Campbell, Jordan Hicks, those are those are band-aid players that were brought in to bridge the gap as the Cardinals tried to draft and develop and acquire cornerstone pieces. You know, they've got Buda Baker. I still have hope for Jalen Thompson. I thought Chris Banjo and Deontay Thompson have played well. I mean, they have a lot of things to be excited about, and I think they are absolutely how could you not watch this team? How can you watch this team and not think they're absolutely one off season away from major contenders? This team has enough money coming off the books, dead money, or not dead money, but dead weight, so to speak, and players that either aren't contributing to high level. I mean, really outside of Reddick, who I believe they will tag. I, I, you can't let a guy with 12 to 13 sacks at the end of the year, I'm projecting, if you're trying to get to the postseason and, and compete, you can't let him leave. Um, make him do it again, and then get a comp pick if you can't re-sign him. Outside of Hassan Reddick, there's nobody on this team that's leaving as a free agent that I think the Cardinals are going to be in trouble in the offseason. If anything, Blake, like you mentioned, it opens up possibilities to upgrade. You could lose Drake Kirkpatrick and Patrick Peterson and upgrade and take that money and allocate it elsewhere and trade for a corner or draft one high. Uh, This team, to me, I've seen enough even without these last two games, barring something unforeseen, I think the coaching staff has done as well of a job as, as I could have expected. And it's a long season. And we had that stretch of poor play following the Hale Murray. But the Cardinals, they played good teams, good head coaches. They lost to the Sean McVeighs and the Bill Belichicks, but they were in those games till the end. So I, I, I look at this team and I think to myself, I think they have a good chance to make the postseason, but even if they go 9-7 and seven and the, the Bears somehow win out, I don't know how you can basically f- double your win total and all of the young players that you've acquired, most of them, 90% are, are contributing and playing well. You can't mm-hmm. be excited. How can you not be excited about what you're seeing? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fun time. You and I have been doing this for a while, I think three to four years. This is the first time where you're able to look at this team holistically and just say, they are one off season from contention, and I really do believe that. Yeah, a lot of that does come down to again the fact that uh, the Cardinals have been able to make a massive turnaround under the likes of Kingsbury and Murray. You look at what their team did as far as uh, offensively yesterday. You turned it over twice in the red zone. You still put up 500 yards and 33 points. And overall, and I looked at the end of the game, it's like, eh, if there's one or two things you wanted to critique with the play calling, maybe there's one or two calls you could have said that would have been probably different. But overall, John, the the thing I thought that was most interesting was, like you said, we're probably not giving this coaching staff as much credit as we should in some cases. I think you and I have for Vance Joseph. They've been missing a lot of defensive linemen throughout the year. And again, we've talked about how their two starting corners have been probably lower in coverage overall than some of their other players. We're still seeing development and a lot of creativity. Uh, Isaiah Simmons the other day, they took a look at his snap count. He, on the, I think it was almost one of the first drives in the game, uh, before the Cardinals either got that safety or maybe it was the series afterwards, he's back playing in the free safety position, nearly gets his hands on an interception. He'd also played at the inside linebacker position, had a great goal line stop. He played at the outside linebacker position, edged, and then even played in the slot corner. 
that just seems to show a lot of the changes and questions that I think a lot of people have had about the likes of Vance Joseph. Was he going to be able to adapt or adjust? We've seen at least that narrative shift a lot from the 2019 offseason to the point where uh, he's become a strong point on the team. If he is, let's say that things were different and he was never an NFL head coach before and suddenly he was going to get his name tossed around there, you and I'd be talking about how the team would probably end up missing him. That's something that I think is worth saying. And on the offensive side, what I think you're looking at also is, and this is kind of an interesting spot for where the Cardinals are now, with eight wins, uh, you mentioned it, I believe, on your Periscope stream, which is a, a fantastic thing to listen to and respond to after games, if, if you're not already listening, by the way, folks. The Cardinals, by getting eight wins, will assure they're not going to have a losing season for the first time since that 2015 season. It's hard to remember that that 2016 team, which had, I think it was like, what was it, majority of their yards went to Fitzgerald and David Johnson because they just did not have a great offensive weapon anywhere else that year. They essentially, at eight wins, have a chance to be able to finish with a winning record with two games left. When you look back to the 2018 offseason and all the craziness that went on with Steve Wilkes being let go after one year, Arizona having the number one pick, uh, the Bosa or Quinnen discussion shifting rapidly to whether it was going to be a Kyler Murray or not at number one. And you talk about a lot of the narrative that was attached to Cliff Kingsbury. The whole thing was he's a glorified offensive coordinator who had a losing record at Texas Tech. And you look at... The, kind of two years down the road, you know, Freddie Kitchens, he was out after a year in uh, Cleveland. You look at Zach Taylor, he may be out after this season. Maybe the Bengals decide to keep paying him. You look at how Adam Gase seems like he's probably out after this season. A lot of those coaches from that 2018 year, such as, you know, Pat Shermer, Matt Patricia, a lot of those types of guys, at least for that one, have just not ultimately been that impressive. Even with looking at Bruce Arians and the uh, the Tampa Bay team this year, there's someone who was looking at this saying, gosh, like, you know, the way that Tampa Bay has been struggling, even though they're shutting down the run, like you would love to see Tampa Bay, like, find a way to acquire Patrick Peterson for this defense. And it's like... I don't think they're watching much Patrick Peterson tape in Tampa. Wow, Cardinals fans are, like, talking about how they're ready to, like, you know, move on from Patrick Peterson. And some of that is just also that's the struggle that's been going on in Tampa. And some of that, when you're talking about a team that's got all those weapons and Brady and is still kind of struggling to be able to, you know, cement the number five seed. They had a, a great comeback against the Falcons, which is uh, it's unfortunate for Falcons fans to have to watch Tom Brady do that for like the second time. But there's a lot at least to be said for what Kingsbury has done overall. And I think that we're seeing, at least on that, the kind of makings of how he's able to learn, adapt, and be able to uh, essentially overcome a lot of these obstacles that are coming up. The Cardinals had their first, uh, as far as like true test, came after their second week, second loss against the Lions. They went on a pretty solid winning streak and then bounced around for a little bit, struggled, dropped three straight. And they've been able to overcome a lot of where they struggled earlier. We've seen at least some of that was related to Kyler's arm. Some of it was just schematic-wise, things were not helping him as much. We've seen a huge adjustment in that place. Now, granted, they have played at least the likes of the Giants and the Eagles. The NFC East is not a powerful team this year. But as we can see, you look at the end of the game results and go, gosh, like, Cardinals overall offensively, they had, I believe, one pressure on Kyler Murray that whole game. There was one sack fumble. 
that you look at for that one. So one sack and one pressure. Jalen Hurts was sacked seven times in that game. You talk at least about what Arizona's been able to do with Cliff, and I think it's one of those areas that deserves credit. Now, as far as for other critiques on the offensive side, you know, outside of the you know, the questions that we've had about with Justin Pugh and Max Williams regarding their health. Um, we'll have to see at least if Max is able to come back. Pugh sat out this game. The Cardinals, fortunately, uh, seem to have enough depth. This is the first game I think that we saw any type of the old 2019 struggles of Mason Cole seem to resurface. There were a few of snaps that were low. One in particular that uh, was on a second down and close that was snapped. Kyler Murray wasn't ready. He goes and falls on it. And there was also, I believe, one or two false start penalties that happened there. It just kind of went back to some of the pre-draft criticism that people had of Cole, why they would have stuck him at guard. To me, I've said it's been a testament to him this season for how he's been probably their most stable offensive lineman outside of uh, DJ Humphreys from game to game. Maybe the likes of Fletcher Cox was there a bit different, but I think overall you're at least looking at the boxes checked one way or the other. Now at least if you look and say, hey, is it possible to upgrade? That I think at least has been kind of the issue we've seen with the cards is they're having to look to check boxes from 2016 to 2019. And now when you're kind of in a spot, you can actually start to say, all right, now we have the box checked if we need to. Can we upgrade and get better at this position and grow? And you've got a small window of time to do that while you've got Murray under contract. And that's why I hope the Cardinals can make the most of their opportunity, John. Uh, before we talk at least a little about some of the kind of current playoff picture, what we're seeing with some of the teams, are there any other comments that you felt like you wanted to make about the offense in particular? I mean, we haven't even talked about how Dan Arnold has essentially become this team's number two over the past few weeks outside of just mentioning it. He's probably been the most stalwart player on offense overall outside of, I, I would argue, Chase Edmonds, maybe even for the whole year. <laughs> Oh, and to clarify, sorry, before you get too much clarify, uh, best player outside of, like, offensive lineman, like, best best of those weapons types of Right, and but just behind DeAndre Hopkins, just a secondary option. And, and again, it's disappointing. You spend a, a second-round pick in, on Christian Kirk in 2018 and come back and, and use another one on Isabella in 2019. And, you know, I, Isabella, to me, it is what it is. He was another he healthy scratch this week. But Kirk, you know, he has flashes, and that's the disappointing part when we don't see it consistently. Um, but you're, you've hit the nail on the head. I, I think specifically with the interior offensive line, listen, I, DJ Humphreys on the outside is a should have Pro Bowl accolades this year. Um, and then, you know, Calvin Beecham has played well, but I, I do think that we're going to see a passing of the baton to Josh Jones this offseason. They drafted him in the third round. He's active. He's the sixth lineman, um, certainly the backup tackle. Uh, I think that they're going to say, we're going to plug in Josh Jones for Kelvin Beecham this offseason. But then the interior is really interesting because you've got Justin Pugh making a lot of money. He's under contract next season, but could easily be a cap casualty. You know, I'm back and forth as to whether or not I think he's back, and he's played relatively well this year. If they if they're in a pinch financially, they could release him. But also, I think that unless you can find an immediate upgrade, just the importance of protecting Murray. You know, I lean toward he'll probably be around. And then the right side, Justin Murray. I think you know he's he's already beaten out J.R. Sweezy. That spot is his until further notice. He got that nice extension. 
But then you mentioned Mason Cole, and I've always been a, a big Mason Cole supporter. I thought he got a, a raw deal on that Wilkes 2018 team. Stuck it out, was the only offensive lineman that year. Wasn't even supposed to start, and then there was an injury, I believe, to Shipley. So he started every every game, was the only offensive lineman to do that, was with you know Sam Bradford and Josh Rosen, and played his butt off, sat the next year uh, under um, Kingsbury because Shipley came back. And then this year has gotten to take the reins. And he started playing well, but recently his pass blocking, particularly his snaps, just are low. And he's just not physical enough uh, of a player to play center. And you mentioned, could he play guard? Uh, He's a free agent um, upcoming after next year. And so it's, do you let Lamont Gilliard have an open competition with him in the offseason? That's an idea. I just think that if there's an area they could upgrade in the offseason, I think it's a, can, can you find somebody that could play all the, all three of those interior positions on the offensive line. Could you get a Brandon Sheriff to come in and play and upgrade over Pew? You know, an all-pro center is difficult to find, and I, I know that, you know, we rip on the offensive line a lot. Historically, it's been affiliated. This, this franchise has been affiliated with just egregious offensive line play, but they've given up 22 sacks. Um, could they play better? Yes. Mason Cole has to play better, but I just think that, this team is in a unique position where so many teams are just overhauling their roster, new coaches, new GMs. The Cardinals are very likely going to go into the offseason with every single coach and executive intact. They're not going to lose any assistance, we, th- we think. I don't think they're going to fire anybody. And they're going to have a lot of their key players under contract, a lot of the guys that they're currently developing. So that, to me, is, is how you breed success long term. It's how you can change the fortunes and fates of your franchise. And it will allow Kyler Murray a better chance to settle in and have sustained success for this team. And, and goodness, allowing only 22 sacks, I don't care who's up front. If that's the kind of production you're getting, then you know darn well that, that Kyler Murray is going to be effective and, and his career will absolutely be extended. So I, I tend to trust Sean Kugler. If he wants to stick with Mason Cole because he believes he's the best option, I'm okay with that. And he clearly thought Justin Murray would be an upgrade over J.R. Sweezy. So it shows you he's not, you know, he's quick to pull the plug on something if it's not working. So be interesting to see what they do in the offseason but I, I just think if if I had to pick a you know the, the coach of the year outside of Kingsbury for this team it would be Sean Kugler yeah John the fact that we've seen the Cardinals go from uh, a team that has struggled with offensive line play some of that I think comes down to like you said player development we've seen some players who have been able to kind of take it on their backs and be able to put it ultimately again this is a sport that's played by human beings it's not like you know you just sit at a computer and code in a, a, a something like madden sometimes we can pretend that it is but we've at least been able to see some guys who are able to kind of rise up like i think back to the uh Longtime starter with Lyle Semline, who was an undrafted free agent who manned the center spot so well, the Cardinals didn't even need to look to upgrade. Uh, you look at least as the fourth round pick of Bobby Massey. Now we're at the point, at least with Arizona, where you're at least seeing some of these whiffs and misses that they had and guys ending up on other teams a year later. You're starting to at least get some traction, and I think that is good. The other thing that I think we haven't talked about today that I would want to mention is how the special teams from the Cardinals has gone from being one of the worst in the NFL to becoming 
a strength of the team under the likes of Jeff Rod- uh, Jeff Rogers. We're talking about how the special teams in this situation, John, now you can maybe factor in the safety in one aspect, and uh, some of that goes to the fact the Eagles unfortunately lost their punter, uh, did not have Carson Wentz as the backup holder, which is a little bit odd, but uh, probably with given what we've heard about with Wentz, he probably didn't want to end up you know playing as long as you know Jalen Hurts was healthy and in the game. So that seems to kind of be in a spot where you're looking at the biggest plays of the game and it comes down to the blocked punt early on that Zeke Turner got his hands on and it comes down to Andy Lee for the second time in two seasons completing a pass on a fake punt on fourth down the previous time being the Buccaneers game to Farrell Cooper this time he hits a wide open Ezekiel Turner it was not an easy pass to make and uh, despite the fact that that drive didn't go anywhere, it did at least seem like it did rejuvenate the Cardinals enough because they had been going nowhere. The fact that you're talking about Gardeck, Turner, uh, being able to have some of these types of impacts gives you at least optimism that the Cardinals are going to be able to fix their spot. And, you know, Zane Gonzalez had some misses earlier this year. But it does end up kind of, like you said, John, feeling like this is a coaching staff that knows what they're doing, not the feeling that we got from the Steve Wilkes era outside of probably Rodgers, who was, I think, one of the few guys who was kept from that era. But it also means that these guys are going to be here to stay for a while. Uh, That, I think, is one of the things that's encouraging, I think, to Cardinals fans is that when you're talking about the core of a team where your identity is, Arizona pretty much has a lot of their core. And they have their coaching staff at a core too. That was something that we did not see with the Bruce Arians and Carson Palmer era, because you knew that both of those guys would be potentially playing for three more years or potentially, you know, or right out as soon as one of the seasons ended and it turned out to be exactly that in 2017. Uh, just to touch on that center fact before we move on, there is going to be at least, and this will be kind of interesting to say, I've talked a lot about receiver, but I know that you, John, you are a heavy offensive line type of person, like always adding to the offensive line or even adding to the defensive line is something that you like, you'll never say no to. For me, if you told me that the Cardinals plan in the offseason was to essentially try to work an upgrade and even to the point where part of that upgrade included taking a center in the first round, I would find that totally acceptable. If you felt like that that's something that you wanted to have for the team, and I know sometimes we see centers will get a little bit more pushed down as far as, you know, whether it's going to be the, you know, you're looking for a run-blocking guard or even the tackles to be able to attach. A lot of times we'll see centers go in the third or fourth round and end up starting for teams for a long period of time. For this team in particular, with how Cliff's blocking scheme works for the amount of shotgun they play, I th- and not to mention the fact that you play in the same division as the likes of Aaron Donald, and uh, there's a huge emphasis, I think, at least the Cardinals could make on having a strong center position. And if they said, hey, we're going to you know, use Justin Murray's road grading at left, tack- at left guard, I should say, we're going to you know, see about moving Mason Cole to guard, and we're going to bring in a, a center. Like The interesting thing this year is if you look at some of the centers that are being projected, you know, you got a couple of guys like, you know, um, uh, Dickerson out of Alabama, Lindstrom, Boston College, but you also have a, a name that some Kyler Murray fans will be familiar with. Uh, his center from Oklahoma, Creed Humphrey, is a guy who also would be familiar enough with the air raid type of offensive scheme as a huge presence. There's a lot as far as that the Cardinals can go where you can see flexibility in some of their addition ability to 
address needs. And I, I think that that gives a lot of fans hope. And this is something we haven't talked about as much, John, is we talked a lot last offseason about what was going on with Arizona, what needs that they had, because you kind of knew they weren't really going anywhere. The fact that Arizona is sitting here at least on the precipice of being able to have a winning record, and we'll get into the playoffs here next, and we're talking about you know adding additional talent versus just kind of bemoaning the fact that the Cardinals have no defense. You don't know what's going on with Vance Joseph, who's, who's covering a tight end, and who's going to be catching the ball for Kyler Murray. A lot of what we're seeing at least is growth and progress from this team. And I think that's something that even if the Cardinals don't make the postseason, you can at least hang your hat on a lot of the improvement. Ultimately, it would come down to being a disappointment if they don't, because you would feel like that the team would have essentially given it away versus gone out and been able to take a lot of that when all of the, you know, essentially they're holding all the cards right now, pun not intended. If they went out and went over the next two games, they'll be guaranteed a playoff spot. And they're treating it like a playoff atmosphere. And I think that's what you can appreciate that, you know, theoretically the Cardinals could win one of these next two and, and still get in and that the bears lose one more, but to have destiny controlled in your own hands, have these games with all I know the last ones in Los Angeles, but not have to travel. Both, both games are in your time zone against teams that you're familiar with a team in, in San Francisco that you've already beaten once. I just think that, if you would have asked me prior to the season, would you have taken eight and six going into the final two games with a, with a postseason spot well in hand? I think everybody would have, would have said yes. I think realistically, Blake, you and I predicted nine and seven consistently for this team. If things broke perfectly, they would go 10 and six to think they could win these next two games. And they had tons of issues and injuries with Chandler Jones and Jalen Thompson. I just think that that shows that they're the top, half of the roster, the elite players are bar bar none, some of the best in the NFL. Even if they were to lose these next two games at eight and eight, you can pinpoint exactly what went wrong and exactly where they need to upgrade. But, you know, I, I think so many people just want to be able to ridicule this Cardinal team because they've got an undersized quarterback and they've got a college head coach that didn't have success at Texas tech. And I think that fuels them. And I think that once they are able to reach the postseason, whether it's this year or next year, to be able to rub that in so many doubters' faces is going to be a really, really special thing to watch and and gratifying thing, specifically for Cliff Kingsbury. I think it's I think it's known basically now within the NFL that Kyler Murray is an elite talent and he's on the cusp of superstardom, probably a top five quarterback right now in the NFL. And Cliff Kingsbury is kind of an afterthought. You know, they see his house. During the draft, they think he's some pretty boy offensive guy who can't coordinate, who can't lead 53 men, you know, into the tunnel and secure, you know, big time victories. And ho-hum, all he's done is he's taken a team that was, again, historically poor offensively. And in two seasons, he's made them competitive, very competitive. So, you know, I'm excited for those two. A lot of people, John, they see Cliff not necessarily as the architect behind a lot of this. They just are like, oh, that's the guy who basically said, yeah, you should get Kyler Murray over Josh Rosen. And they credit him as being kind of this guy who, oh, he lucked into all of this stuff as far as with this. He he just is failing upwards for all these scenarios. And at some point, you have to be able to look at all of that work that has gone into the Cardinals and recognize, you know, it takes more than just lucking on a quarterback. That being said, obviously, like, quarterback is the most important position on the field for any team and that is one of the biggest turnarounds that we have seen uh, what we're also talking about ultimately though is you know 
uh, a guy, at least in the NFL, who a lot of people, I think, ultimately were wrong on. In some of that case, it's because of how unique the situation is. And some of it was how unique Kyler Murray is. It seems crazy now to think, but there are people who are saying he's not going to work in the NFL as the number one pick because he won't see over his line. He won't be able to, you know, progress as a thrower. He's going to be in this air raid type of offense. How is this going to work? And now you're looking ultimately at how the NFL has shifted drastically to the point where that athleticism and ability to be quick is just changed so much at the position where he's kind of one of the more prototypical guys that you have for today's NFL and Kingsbury's, you know, he's not just running the scheme for that when he's having to kind of oversee things when, you know, when the team goes on a three game losing streak, he's having to be able to figure out why and adjust and making those adjustments to, you know, win two, I should say, winnable games at least, but we're against two teams that are both fighting for their playoff lives in the Giants, and that's something at least where it's changing the reputation of Kingsbury in the NFL, and it's also, I think, changing the reputation of the Cardinals from the team that essentially ruined Josh Rosen, the team that didn't give him a chance, that let go of Steve Wilkes too soon and didn't give him a chance. It's rehabilitating some of their reputation overall as well. Totally agree. All right, let's get into a little bit of the playoff talk. So uh, first, I think we can just go over the uh, kind of overall basic structure of what we're looking at. Cardinals right now have a one-game lead over the Chicago Bears with two games to play. Right now, if you are going to win those next two games straight, you're in the playoffs no matter what happens. Uh, You're looking then at as far as for what seeding would be would depend on other teams. Um, that's one of the things at least that we have for each of those. So John, here's kind of the question that I'll get for you when you're talking about it for the Cardinals, there is a perfect scenario where, you know, Packers end up, uh, I believe it is, um, winning a certain amount of games. The rest of the teams keep them close where they're able to, you know, beat Chicago and you see the two teams in front of Arizona, particularly the Tampa Bay Bucks would have to lose two. That would push the Cardinals up to the five seed. Maybe if you look at the fact that the Rams game, which now is tons of implications with, you know, the number one overall pick, the Jaguars at least maybe end up wanting to lose. What are your thoughts at least overall? I'm looking at the Cardinals biggest opponent in this situation, which is a resurgent Chicago Bears team. Uh, right now it seems like that's the biggest thing that's standing in Arizona's way is the fact that they have to play two NFC West games while the Bears have to play a Jacksonville team that may be trying to tank for the number one pick unintentionally now and then followed up by a Green Bay team who unless the Seahawks are able to kind of keep it close or New Orleans wins next week maybe and not having as much to play for at least depending on how things go what are your thoughts on what the Cardinals chances are and how realistic it is for them to be able to get into the playoffs at least forget the five or six seed just looking at the number seven seed aside and how the Bears have been doing the past few weeks is Trubisky seems like he's got them playing on a similar turnaround to the Cardinals I think it's it's cyclical just like the Cardinals playing poorly you know two, three weeks ago, I I think, listen, Chicago, who they beat in two straight games, they had an opportunity and they beat the Houston Texans who are a bad team this year. And they get Minnesota. Who's an in rival division, but think about it. They lost to the lions three weeks ago. Lions are one of the worst teams in the NFL. I, I think the bears to me are an anomaly. They've allowed more points than they forced this year. Yes. They've scored 30 points in in three straight games against defenses that aren't particularly great. And they get Jacksonville this weekend. 
I think Jacksonville could make that competitive, but I know at the end of the day, I don't see a scenario in which they beat the Green Bay Packers, no matter what's on the line. I think the Packers are going to play their starters to stay fresh for the playoffs and to attempt to knock the Bears out of the playoffs. But here's the most important thing, Blake. I think the Cardinals are going to win out. I think they're going to get to 10 wins. I think we're seeing enough momentum from both sides of the ball that they will beat the Niners this weekend handedly, given all the issues the Niners have personnel-wise. And I'm predicting now they're going to exercise their demons against the L.A. Rams at 1.25 Pacific time on January 3rd and secure and punch their ticket to the playoffs, whether it matters what Chicago does or not. Because their Cardinals are going to know whether or not going into that game they have to win. And I believe they will win. They'll take care of business. If not now, when is the time to predict that game and that victory for a Cardinal team that's never beaten Sean McVay, a Ram team that is clearly vulnerable, just lost to the New York Jets? I think that's the day that the Cardinals punch their ticket to the playoffs. And I think I think they win both games. I'm just I think this team is so streaky when you think about early in the season, they won two in a row. 2-0, and then they lose to the Lions and the Panthers, then they win three in a row, then they lose four or five. I just think they're on another streak now, and they've never won four straight under Cliff Kingsbury, but I think they're in a position now, certainly with San Francisco, and we'll preview the game later this week. A San Francisco team, now the line continues to move. The Cardinals are about a three-and-a-half point favorite. That is sporting Nick Mullins. That's got 12 picks and 12 touchdowns on the year. They don't have Mostert. Jeff Wilson's banged up. Debo Samuel's out. We don't know if Kittle's going to play. You know, uh, Jason Verrett's was out this past week. The Cardinals, to me, are going to take care of business against San Francisco and get to nine wins. And I I am more confident now after what I've seen because I think Jalen Hurts is the real deal. And I thought before that game the Cardinals would have trouble containing him. But I've seen enough from this Cardinal team, back-to-back weeks, solid offensive performances, getting better, okay, sweeping the NFC East, the defense playing poorly in one corner, cleaning it up in the second half. I I don't – I I just think Chicago I don't think is going undefeated. I think they're going to lose one of their next two games. I wouldn't be surprised if they had a meltdown against Jacksonville. And I think the Cardinals are winning out. I think the Cardinals are getting to 10 wins. Uh, it's great, John. I will say this just before you kind of go and we end our podcast today. This, this is interesting. Looking kind of at playoffpredicting.com, the Cardinals, if you're right, and let's say that you're right, that they win their next two games. They defeat the Niners on week 16, go into week 17, and beat the Rams. If we assume that the Seattle Seahawks do beat the Los Angeles Rams that week and the Rams lose three straight to drop the season, you look at the way that things shake out. If the Buccaneers drop one game either to Detroit or to Atlanta, the Cardinals would be tied with them at 10-6, and six, but with a better divisional record, would leapfrog the Bucks from the 7th seed to the 5th seed, which is, you know, you're kind of having to root for a Tampa Bay loss of one of the next two games. They're kind of holding on by a thread. But what's really interesting, too, is if the uh, Washington football team loses one of their next two games as well, suddenly the I think it's the the Philadelphia Eagles would leapfrog them you would have a Hertz Murray matchup in the first round of the wildcard playoffs for the four and the five seed at least for that that would be kind of like a crazy scenario now again I think that 
what you're looking for is you want to be able to, if you're, you know, rooting for things for the Cardinals, you're hoping that the Bears just lose to Jacksonville next week and you can kind of just then, you know, wash your hands of all of it and be like, all right, cool, playoff spot is is basically secured now. You would have to then essentially have the uh, Cardinals lose, you know, one of both of their next two games for Chicago to get in. So I think a lot of it comes down to, John, if you can take care of business, like you said, and be able to make sure where it's not close, uh, see that it's like, you know, it's like an Indiana Jones reference. You see kind of like that their holy grail at least is there within your reach for that one. If you can reach out and grab it for that one for yourself, not wait around and let hope that other teams are going to make it and kind of luck into the playoffs, that I think will tell you a lot about the future of this team and the tenacity as well. So uh, we'll be back to preview the Niners game as well as look at some of the other developments later this week. Uh, thank you guys again so much for listening to the pod. Uh, it's been a pleasure and a crazy ride this year through 2020 only two weeks left uh, will be something to appreciate for that one uh, well, next week we'll also talk a bit about some of the season that kyler murray has had a little bit of some crazy stati- statistics there that'll be coming up later this week along with that preview uh, in the meantime john where can the listeners find you and your content yeah absolutely i'm at johnny venerable on twitter and then of course here at the rotb podcast with my buddy blake and then in the written word on revengeofthebirds.com just wrapped up an article about Kyler Murray and his historical statistical season, Blake, that's really unlike anything we've ever seen. Absolutely. We'll be talking a bit more about that in the next edition of the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Meantime, Cardinals win. Uh, make sure at least that you like and subscribe for all of that content, at least that we have discussing at least to that on revengeofthebirds.com. That's where you can find everything else that we'll have there, including this podcast. Uh, see you later in the week, folks, and go Cards. Thank you.